morning. It's good to see you. I did just want to start with, you know, um, sometimes I realize that the only people that can understand Christianese are those that have been Christians their whole lives. And sometimes we almost hear certain words and we, we allocate to, to a certain thing. So for example, this morning the words in worship are like, God wants to soften your heart and you have a hard heart. And like we're not talking about a medical condition where your heart is calcified. We, 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 we're talking about do we become calloused in our approach to God? Have we lost a sensitivity to when Jesus wants to speak? And one of those things, for example, would be when he highlights sin or when he highlights areas of our heart that need adjustment. You see, the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is the one is we have this moment where we see Jesus on the cross, we see our sin, we see our need for a savior and we repent. But a true believer keeps on living in repentance. And when you don't, your heart can begin to harden. And so even as we go into this message that I, I wanna share with us this morning, it's that the way, the answer to this hard heart thing that we've been hearing in worship, and, and maybe it's relating to you, maybe, maybe God's speaking to you this morning, the way that you soften a hard heart is you repent of it. And the Bible talks about he can take a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Okay. So I, I want to share one of my favorite stories with us, and it comes out of the book of John. And the gospel of John, it's my favorite version of it because I, I do relate strongly. So for example, some people see God as their lover and their, their romantic best friend and they're like, I struggle with that, to be honest. In my marriage, I struggle at the best of times to be romantic. My wife will tell you. I often, before I do things, I ask her, is this romantic? And she's like, it was right up until you said that. Right up until that moment, it had a romantic gesture. Or afterwards, I even say to her like, sure, that was romantic, wasn't it? She's like, it was until you said that, you just lost all points. But one of the ways that I really do see Jesus, and one of the areas for me, and I'm hoping that we can see him from this angle, is in the book of John, Jesus is given through the lens of a bigger brother slash best friend. That is the way, that is how the gospel of John is written, through the lens of a bigger brother slash best friend. And so, in John's books, you get to see a lot of Jesus' weaknesses. You get to see a lot of behind the scenes. And then you get to, so John's book, you'll notice, is not filled with miracles, not filled with signs and wonders. It's actually very much the person of Jesus. And so I want to tell us a story this morning out of the book of John 4. And the purpose of it is I want you to see something about Jesus. And as you see that thing about Jesus, then you can relate to him in that way. So the book of John, for example, there are only seven miracles. The kingdom of heaven, the main thing Jesus taught is only mentioned twice. Because the emphasis is on who Jesus was as a man. And as a man, even in his weakness. And so something you'll see if you read the New Testament, you'll see this about Jesus. Jesus did the miraculous for others. But for himself, he was completely man. He suffered from hunger. He got extremely tired. He went through all these different... Jesus never used the miraculous on his own behalf. He didn't pull himself down from the cross. He didn't automatically fix his hairdo. He didn't 
like, do anything for his own benefit. Every miraculous thing that Jesus did was for others. It gives you a little bit of an insight into Jesus. And so this is one of my favorite stories about that. And so uh, Jesus prays this prayer in John, and then I'm going to stop delaying and tell you about the story. But in John 17, verse 3, Jesus prays this, and he says, Now this is the eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus, the one whom you sent. And so that is even John listening into Jesus' prayer. That's what Jesus summarizes. This is eternal life, to know God. This is the purpose of your walk, the reason why we believe, the purpose behind being a Christian, to know him and to know Jesus. And so when we hear about him, you, 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 you mustn't relate it to, I, I want us to take the, the lens off of ourself. We, we read everything through ourselves. How this affects my life, how am I doing, how is my finances, like Tony so adequately mentioned, all the hardship in our life at the moment. Uh, we, we always see everything about your life is lived, it's all about you. That's how we are as human beings. And this morning I want to say, can we look at Jesus for who he is? And just, just for a moment, stop feeling about, what about me? And so it says in John 4, John 4 verse 3. And so Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. Pause. Jesus did not have to go through Samaria, and not many Jews did. So the ways that Jews would travel that path is they would go from Judea, they would go up to the Jordan, they would go around Samaria, and then they would go to Galilee. Do you know why? Because they were blatant racists. They had a massive problem with the nation of Samaria. Samarians, what happened with them is they were... Uh, Israel was all one, and they were conquered, and what they did is they wiped out all the top class of society, and they left only the lower bracket of society, the poor, the, the ones that nobody wanted. Those are the only ones they left alive, and they carried on. And then those people married and intermarried and had children with all the Gentiles. And so, so the Jews saw the Sumerians as literally lower class worse than Gentile people that are inbreds. It's literally how they saw them. And so when a Jew traveled that route, they literally wouldn't even go through the land because they didn't want to have to interact with them. And so what they did is even those people, they established their own beliefs around God and they had all different prophets and different mountains and different things. And so there is this really weird group of people that Jews naturally avoid, but it says for Jesus, but he had to go through Samaria on the way. Jesus had an appointment. He had an appointment to keep. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Jacob. Jo- Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus has this amazing description of our incredible Jesus who's coming back with the sword and on the white horse, and Jesus tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noon. I just want to give you, there is a reason to this, is because Jesus is exhausted. It's in the middle of the day. 
He doesn't feel up to it. I'm trying to describe what your work week can sometimes feel like. He doesn't have, it's, it's Sunday morning and it's rained the whole weekend and I'm feeling sick and like, and it's, it's all the circumstances are not lining up for, the, for a revival to break out. Let's just put it that way. I'm not coming with the highest expectation for revival to break out and a whole city to get turned upside down and to stay there days and that's what's gonna happen though. And it starts with Jesus exhausted, sitting tired at the well. Even in your weakness, even in our weak moments. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, again, this is a massive problem. Rabbis, Jesus, teachers, they, Jesus, not the same as the rabbis, but rabbis, some of them, they called them blind and pain. They had a funny terminology for rabbis, but where they would literally walk into things, because if they saw a woman in the street, they wouldn't even look at them, to the point that if there was something there, they would walk into them. Literally, they did not look at women. Forget Samaritan women. Jesus should not, first of all, he didn't have to go this way. He's pretty exhausted, and now there's the last person that he should be speaking to at the well. Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And he was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do, this is, this is the truth, with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? What is going on here? Jesus replied, and this is the moment you, you'll see. He could have looked after his own needs. He does nothing about his own needs. And the second it becomes about somebody else, you watch how he starts to do the miraculous. This morning, I want to say to you, maybe you've come in feeling tired, weary, middle of day, middle of the week, middle of the month, or just after payday, everybody's feeling bleak, debit orders have gone off. If it was pre-debit orders, everyone's got a smile, post-debit orders, frown. Everybody's sitting around, in the middle of your need, Jesus wants to meet with you this morning, and he wants to address your heart. And where your heart has become hard, he wants to change it for you. And he changes it by showing you something about himself. God works in our life through revelation. That means when he opens your eyes to see something as the truth and he speaks into your heart. I'm praying this morning that right now the Lord will speak into your heart through revelation. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Living water for them was like, um, a spring, they would consider a spring because it bubbles at the bottom, not a well, but a spring would be living water, a, a well without an end, a source. And so immediately she does what we do. She thinks through her, her current situation. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and the well is very deep. Where would you find this spring? Asking for a friend. Like, where would one maybe... Find a, a well like this, a spring like this. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals? I want to pause there. Do you know that, and it's not, this is not an assumption, this is like historical fact. Do you know that this woman, do you know why she was alone at the well in the middle of the day? Because she was an outcast. 
because she had a life filled of shame. Because all the women would go in the morning to get water from the well, and she would go in the middle of the day when nobody else was there. She didn't want to go and be a part of the local discussion. There was something about her that was separated from everybody else, and we'll see why. Shamed, scorned, this is the one that Jesus comes to meet with, the one that everybody else has put on the outs. Again, the reason for this is so that you could see Jesus this morning, so that when you feel on the outs, when you feel shamed, when you feel like you don't belong, Jesus is knocking at your door. There, did you hear him? He's knocking. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. And the whole point is this. He knows why he's talking to her. He wants to get to the clincher immediately. And you're gonna see, the second he tries to deal with her heart, she's gonna deflect. Then he's gonna try to deal with her heart, then she's gonna deflect. That's exactly how we do it. We come to worship, and you can't, that thing in your life that you know is causing her this problem. You come to worship and we try and deflect from it. Has anyone experienced that? When you come to worship and you know that there's stuff in your life that's not with God, right with God, and then when you come and you, you sing, you're beautiful, and you're thinking, I'm not, or like, you're beautiful but partially blind, hopefully. Maybe you didn't see that, and maybe you don't know that about me, or maybe you just, just me. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them and giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And here's the clincher. And I won't have to come here to get water. Give me a way out of all my problems. Help me hide my shame. Give me somewhere where I can go, where I don't have to face my hardships every single day, where I won't have to face the shunning of the people every single day. I want you to remember this part of the story because I want you to see how the revival comes. <laughs> and so she is wanting, she thinks that what Jesus wants to offer her is a way out of her problems and a way where she can distance herself from it and she can just go to the spring. She's not thinking more than physical at the moment. She's literally thinking Physical, until Jesus does Jesus' stuff. So I won't have to come here again. So Jesus gets drawn and he says, okay, cool, go and get your husband. The clincher. I don't have a husband, the woman replies. You're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. Straight to the heart of the issue. You certainly spoke the truth. You don't have a, and, and this is great. Sir, you must, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Do you know this? She's actually, this answer is actually sarcastic. Do you know that? It changes into belief, but it starts all sarcastic. Everybody knew that she had had five husbands. That's why she was shamed. That's why she was shunned. Everybody, you must be a prophet. So tell me, because at this moment she didn't go, oh my word, he's the Messiah, he knows everything. She goes, no, you must be a prophet. Well done, another one. I come in the middle of the day to get away from this and this is what I find at the well. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that immediately she goes from defensive to on the attack? This is exactly what happens when God starts to touch areas of our life. We get on the front foot towards him. We get on the attack towards God. So for example, 
Tony shares about finances and tithing and giving this morning. Do you know what the first thing, if it's an area of your heart that is hard, do you know how you would know? The first thing you'll do is in your heart, you'll get on the front foot. Somebody mentions about how, man, we want to tithe and we want to give and we want to give, be with our, we want to be faithful with our finances. When, that, when, when you've got something in your heart, immediately you go on the front foot. Yeah, well, it's not, God doesn't want my money. It's just these guys. This is not the da 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 That's exactly what we do when God is touching the area of our life that we need to deal with. It's a symptom when you go, ah! I did see that. I'm, joking. I'm just joking. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place? Well, we Samaritans claim it is, a, it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped. She's literally starting to put up the case. Who do you think you are? You Jews think you've got it all together. When the Lord comes and he knocks on the door, often our defense is, hey, well, what's going on here? Sorry, this text is so tiny. I realized I got old in five minutes. I can't see it. <laughs> I need next plus one. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman. The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Well, we, jo we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, and indeed it's here now. It's literally saying, I'm here. Salvation is here, me. I'm here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when He comes, do you notice, she did not attribute Him knowing about her marriages to anything else. When He comes, He'll tell us. He'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her job beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And what happens is, is that from that point it says, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. And in verse 40, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is the savior of the world. Do you know that that whole story of, of days of people coming and finding Jesus started with one woman and her offensive wall that she had towards him. One woman who was trying to hide her shame. One woman who was trying to separate herself from everyone else. And Jesus comes in and he, he takes her heart. And all it does, this morning, if there is hardness in your heart, if, you, if you're getting pricked by a lot of things in church, if you find yourself easily offended with God or getting upset when... He takes her hard heart and he changes it. She runs back and she tells everybody and the whole village is saved. It's incredible. Thank you, Austin. I think it's incredible. <laughs> the reason I told you that story is because it's the same Jesus that we serve. 
The same Jesus that when he comes in on Sunday morning and you've got hidden things in your life that you've come to church with. You've got stuff that you look at me going, he acts like he knows, but he surely can't know. That stuff. And we think that he turns a blind eye. He doesn't. The hidden sin in your heart is what slowly starts to harden it. And then when he speaks to you, when, when it's, hey guys, let's worship together. You can't. There's something in the way. Hey guys, we want to talk about giving or, or we want to trust for God to come and speak to us. And No, 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 no. The second that there's stuff, my youngest, my oldest, not my youngest, my oldest daughter came to me during worship and she said, Dad, I've got a prophetic word, but I don't know, I don't know if it means anything. And she said, I saw this fungus and I saw it growing on trees and it started to cover the trees and I felt like I saw Jesus come and wash it off the trees and I felt him saying that there's stuff that people are allowing to cling to our lives that he wants to get rid of this morning. You put that on top of every other word that came this morning and I'm saying like, is it possible that God wants to do business with us this morning? Is it possible that you didn't just come to church today to tick something off your list? Is it possible the fact that actually through you Jesus wants to come and he wants to find your, your, your point of, the, the highest point of pain in your life. For this woman, it was the five husbands. Do you know that if you couldn't, there's whole different takes on it. Some people say that if she was barren and she couldn't give children, her husbands would have divorced her. So maybe it was that she was an adulteress. Maybe it was that there was all these other things. But the reality is, is that Jesus didn't even step in and fix her marriage. This morning, the Lord sees where we all come, and, and every Sunday we come to church, and you go to a Wednesday community, and, and I want to say this to you, we find, when, when you lay it down at his feet, worshipers in spirit and in truth, those who are living in repentance, at the moment, this is one correction I wanted to make, is that there is a, a whole lot of teaching at the moment going on about the finished work of the cross. And man, Jesus finished every good work that he was given to do on the cross. Do you know that? It's amazing. But do you know that that does not mean that every good work that you are called to do has been finished and you are called to live out your salvation? Do you know that? And the illustration that's used is like, actually, the thief that was hung on the cross, there was no, he didn't do anything. The thief that hung on the cross, he, he wasn't baptized, he didn't go to church, he didn't give his finances, he didn't, he didn't have fruits of salvation in his life. And do and you know what the clincher is? Actually, the thief on the cross had the very first fruit of salvation, which is this. He said, we're sinners, you're blameless, don't forget me. Even the thief on the cross, there was fruit of salvation right in the beginning. So I did digress on that because I wanted to mention it today. Because this morning, there is, it's not that our salvation, it's not like you put your hand up once on a Sunday morning, you repent, you give your life to Jesus, and then we come every Sunday and it's just assumed to all be okay all the time. I'm saying, guys, are we those that live in keeping with repentance? Because if we don't, all these things that the Lord has warned us about in worship, about the hardness of heart, this happens 
when you don't live in repentance. Do you know that every time you repent and you come to God, He takes out the heart of stone and He gives you a heart of flesh. One of the most amazing truths about our, our Jesus is that He forgives every single time we repent. Every single time. That the, this morning that the Lord wanted to recalibrate us in our worship and, and how we come in Sunday after Sunday and, and we come in and it's like we, we, we can stand at the back or we can observe what's going on. But like Jesus said to this woman, he, God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when you can't worship him in truth because there is something hidden, you need to come in repentance to him. I'm not saying you need to come here and tell everybody. I'm saying in your heart, you need to say, Jesus, I want you to forgive me. I'm sorry we have messed it up. Would you forgive me? Would you remove it from me? Would you help me to live differently? And when he forgives you, do you know that that, that is, for me, the main reason behind my worship? I'm forgiven. My sins are overlooked. He's washed me as white as snow. He did what I couldn't do. That's why I worship. That's why I get excited. He did the things that we couldn't. God is looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth. Would that be said of you?